Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined as always by Dave and Becky. On today's show, Arthur Staple of The Athletic returns to let us know what he's been hearing on the trade front. We'll also get his appraisal of the Rangers so far as they prepare for a busy final two months of the regular season. We'll also take a look at the Blue Shirts restart after their two-week formerly Olympic hiatus. It's been a mixed bag of results, but the t- uh, you know we're wondering if the team has started to find its even strength game. Uh, we also got a couple of fan questions that we'll answer before we talk to Arthur. So a packed show, a fun show as always. Becky, firstly, let's welcome you back from COVID protocol. Obviously, I was dealing with my symptoms as well last week, but how are you feeling? <laughs> hey, welcome back. I was feeling crappy. How are you feeling? <laughs> no, um, I am feeling better. I will say that I'm super grateful for modern medicine, and I'm also super grateful that um, I got it from either you or Emily because we were able to stagger that a little bit. Um, but I feel pretty good. I feel pretty, pretty normal. Um, and I will say that COVID has made me really appreciate the midday nap. So, so if you were not taking the midday nap and you can, I highly suggest it. I wish we could, like, take this mentality of the midday nap because I try to do it right as my workday ends too and instill it into the children of the world of stop fighting the nap. Take the nap. (laughs) Trust me, you're going to want the nap later on in life, so enjoy it now, you little shit. Take the fucking nap. You miss the nap. (laughs) Because my daughter's at the point where she's not napping and she sleeps for 12 hours a night and thank Whatever Lord you want to thank, I don't care which one it is. You can pray to the computer gods for all I care about. She sleeps for 12 hours a night, and it's amazing. But trying to get her to sleep during the day is so fucking brutal. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Like, honestly, Emily was the same way until she was down to one nap. And sometimes that's even a struggle. But when it's a struggle, she's usually a daycare's problem. So That's you know. true. That's true. But yeah, so we're all and and just I just want to throw it out there if parents are listening that are newer parents, because obviously my daughter's a year and a half, so she's still very new. But when we got we all home tested and um, so we all showed up positive on the same morning, whatever. And Emily, we called her pediatrician and we were like, what do we do? You know, like, what should we be careful for? I was like really nervous. Obviously, it's global pandemics killed millions of people. And uh, they were like, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a cold. And I was like, come again. They're like, yeah, but she has to quarantine for 10 days. But it's just a cold. I was like, "Okay, fine. And you know what? It was just a cold. Thank God. Um, So. Maybe that takes a little bit of the fear out of the equation, but we are also lucky she's not asthmatic or anything like that. So, so yeah, for kids, but it's very good to be back. <laughs> yeah, for kids, definitely, it's a little bit of a different story, and, and we're grateful for that. Now, obviously, there have been some bad outcomes for all age groups, all vaccination status, you know, uh, so um, it's not something you want. We we did have a tough day in there. Friday ended up being our, our worst day. Um, we, were, we were both pretty useless on Friday. Um, so you just never know with this thing, as Becky said, glad that we are vaccinated and boosted and hopefully 
we are moving on, um, you know, as a family, but also hopefully as a as a society pretty soon, uh, as long as we can keep getting people vaccinated and, you know, hopefully a return to normal is, is somewhat around the corner. But in any event, um, Becky, yeah, great to have you back. As I said, we will have Arthur Staple on the show a little bit later. He will be kind enough to to join us and talk through what he's hearing on the trade front. He had a, a really good column out in The Athletic today, which I encourage you all to, to check out. I should I say today, that was Tuesday. So that would be yesterday if you're listening. Um, but before we get that get to that, I just wanted to dive into the last couple of Ranger games. Um, the Rangers have had, you know, as I said in the intro, a little bit of a mixed bag of results since coming back from their Olympic break, the two-week break. Um, you know, a, a, a shootout win over Boston in a game that they had a horrible start but played pretty well otherwise. A shootout loss to Detroit, which uh, is a game they – probably could have or should have won in regulation. And then the Ottawa game, which which was a very interesting game from a narrative perspective, at least. And I think we'll get to that in a bit. But um, Dave, I'll come to you first. Uh, what what was your kind of key takeaway from those two most recent games, the uh, the shootout loss to Detroit and the, uh, the 2-1 win over Ottawa? Man, amazing what's going to happen when this team actually plays 60 full minutes. We're getting better. Now, instead of taking 20 minutes off, they're taking like, eight or nine minutes off but you know we've been beating this for a while that the rangers don't need to be perfect and they're not perfect but they're still winning and now we're having good process to back it up and you got to win games like this where you can't score and yeah i'm good i'll take the wins i'll take the good process the offense will eventually come we know this team is incredibly streaky I'm not losing my mind over getting goalied by Thomas Grice and, you know, a Sunday matinee game against Ottawa. I'm not losing my mind over this. They won. They got, sorry, they beat Ottawa. They got a point out of Detroit where they really should have won about 11-2, to but whatever. Thomas <laughs> Grice kind of did his thing as per usual against the Rangers. Whatever, you take it, you go. I'm good. Yeah, Grice has never lost in regulation to the Rangers, which is a wild stat. I think he's, I want to say it's 7-0-1 now. So for whatever reason, that guy, and for, for whatever reason, by the way, whoever the Red Wings goalie is, it was Jimmy Howard, obviously, for years, especially in Madison Square Garden, they tend to put on a show. The Rangers have had yeah. n- not had a lot of problems generating offense against the Red Wings lately. Obviously, they've been a bad team for years now. They're in the midst of a rebuild. They look like they're moving in the right direction under... Steve Eiserman, but you know that was a game that the Rangers had no trouble generating offense. I think if you look at the expected goals for um, for the game at five on five, they were they were, I think the Rangers were over three, which is which is a high number at at even strength. And obviously the power play is actually what ended up getting uh, the Rangers the the tying goal in that game. They were down two to one. Um, I mean Becky, they did only have they've only had one five on five goal in each of these three games out of the break. So. Again, does that concern you? Because that has been, you know, basically the main sticking point all year with this team. And and what else did you see from the team? And you know, uh, what else have you seen uh, since the break ended? Because you weren't with us last week, so you could throw the Boston game in there as well. Oh man, the Boston game feels like ages ago. It was like pre-COVID. Um, how did uh, listen? Like you want to beat the Red Wings, obviously, but this is also a classic case. I feel like where you say. There are fans, and neither are right or wrong, but there's fans who are on either end of the spectrum, right? Like, one is just like, I don't give a shit how it happens. Give me the win, and I don't care. 
there's a fan who's like, I need to see good process, good possession, good chances, good everything. And if they lose, then they lose. And so we're kind of like, you know, we've had an era where we were the former and we kind of, you can argue, still are more on the former or were early this season. And a lot of people have a problem with it. And so I would actually want to ask, hey, the Red Wings game, like we didn't get two points. So whatever. But like, do, did, were you happy with at least the process? Like, is, is this something or are we now, we need to win and we need to have good process and we need to have good everything, you know, um, kind of a rambling way to say that, like, you're not going to win every game. There's going to be some games that you, you lose and getting a point's good and that's it. Um, I wasn't like, I haven't had, I mean, the boss team, whatever. I haven't had like a visceral reaction to any, anything recently. Um, either of the last two games, ideally you want, I mean, and like, I thought that the Ottawa game was going to be a shit show when they said that they were putting in a a goalie that literally like I've never heard of in my life. I was like, okay, so the Rangers are going to get shut out. This is good stuff. (laughs) And then it was when they scored a goal, we were like, all right, so it's going to be like a complete mess. And then it wound up being like neither a shutout nor a gong show. It wound up being a like pretty enjoyable game so I don't know I'm fine I like I, I'd love to see them play more consistently which they will coming soon so and by consistently I mean like literally I just want to see more games yeah the schedule so. again has has been weird and finally you know we're, we're yeah we're looking forward <clears throat> from Wednesday the Rangers will play Thursday and then from that point I think the number is 30 their final 32 games will be played over the course of 63 days so that is yeah, you know, it's a literally. Lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's literally more than a game every other day. So yeah, um, it's a lot. But I also I just want to throw it out there. I like have seen some people saying that this is going to be a sprint now and it's going to really test them and blah. And I'm like, yeah, I will. But I also get the feeling that having some consistency in your schedule, knowing you're going to play every other day or what have you also lets you get into a groove and stay in it you know obviously notwithstanding any god forbid knocking on wood injuries it's i think it's good to get in that kind of groove and obviously you want depth fine but let's see what this team can do now yeah and you know if i'm having trouble getting in a groove writing because every time we hit like 10 games or something we have another two-week break these guys are definitely having trouble getting into a groove on the ice I mean, I can't even think of shit to write about. And these guys are just like, oh, yeah, so we played three weeks ago. That was our last game. Oh, just hop. You can't just turn it on. It's not a light switch. They got to oh, get back into it. But it's okay because they practice, Dave. Oh, <laughs> fucking clowns. Oh, they practice. They're good. Schmucks. Sorry. Sorry. I, really... I, get, I get angry, irrationally angry at people are like, oh, they should be good. They're professional. Yeah, they're professional. But they're fucking human, too. Yeah, they're not robots. Well, we watched The Matrix recently. Just like only human, right? Only human. The what's interesting if you look at the last few games, and and everybody has sort of picked a different line of demarcation. Um, Rob Luker put one of his uh, charts together not too long ago. I actually, uh, you know, I'm not as uh, chart inclined, at least in terms of generating and displaying my own data, but. I looked at the Rangers' last five games. Um, I know in, in in his article after practice on 
Tuesday, Vince Mercogliano said over the last eight games, you know, everybody sort of picked a different milepost, but the pattern that's emerged for the Rangers over the last, let's say, two, three weeks, including the break, has been better defensive play. Um, they are definitely not allowing as many scoring chances. Their expected goal share has been better lately. You know, for a lot of the year, they've been operating in the low 40s. I did my quick math over the last five games. That goes back to the Seattle game, which the Rangers won. Didn't play great in the game. The numbers weren't that ugly, but they did win the game. Uh, over the last five games, the Rangers have a 53.67 uh, expected goal share, uh, which is very good. That would be near the top of the league. Again, five games, very small sample against some pretty, you know, uh, I'd, let's call it, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a, an interesting range of teams. You got you got a couple of bad teams in there. You got a banged up Boston team in there. You also have Florida in there. So, you know, I don't know how much that tells you, but Dave, I think it's very clear that no matter what set of games you're looking at, the Rangers have been better defensively on the whole this year, but definitely in the last uh, few weeks. What do you attribute that to, and can they continue it? What can I attribute it to? Honestly, I wish I had an answer. There is nothing logical that I have seen about this team other than a... I, I guess they play up and down to the talent that they play against sometimes. As noted by the Florida game, that was the best game they've played all year. They were in on the four check. They were back checking. They were playing defensive hockey. They were playing overall better defensive zone hockey. We weren't watching defensemen chase the puck up to the top of the circle. We weren't watching defensemen need to switch sides because one chased behind the net or that one time when both Nemeth and Hayek chased behind the net and our brains exploded. Uh, we haven't seen that. It's the dumb mistakes that haven't been there. And it's, other than that, it's not really a systemic thing. Maybe they're just, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. It's becoming more innate. But uh, there's nothing yeah. there. They're not changing the system. They're not changing anything that they've been doing. They're still... Seeing the bottom six dump and chase, the top six are carrying the puck in a little bit better. At least that's eye test. I don't. I haven't re- read Corey Schneider's entry. And yes, that's how you pronounce his last name, even though there's a Z and a J in it. It's Schneider. Um, <laughs> yeah, that one still baffles me. Sorry, Corey. Um, but it's it, it seems like they're just kind of getting used to the system and not making the dumb mistakes anymore. And if the only thing we're really looking at is getting goalied by Thomas Grice and Rob, you earlier said that guy and all I could think about was Billy Madison saying, thank God I called that guy. That guy. (laughs) (laughs) And Thomas Grice is just Steve Buscemi with a sniper rifle. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Yeah. Putting lipstick on after because Thomas Grice is a total shithead, by the way. This is true. Um. Yeah, I mean, look, I think what's interesting about these games, and I'm, I'm going to focus in on the Ottawa game specifically here, is a lot of them have not been pretty games. I think the big thing with the Ottawa game on Sunday was, yes, they were down a lot of key players. They were missing Shabbat. Uh, I can't remember. They were missing a couple of other. Uh, Drake Batherson was out of the lineup. I mean, look, Ottawa clearly is one of the worst teams in the league, even at full strength, right? So I think people were definitely expecting more than a 2-1 win in which the Rangers had to you know, hold on at the end. Now, obviously, if Igor Shosturkin scores his goalie goal, it's 3-1. And then that's probably all we're talking about right now. But um, 
I came away from that game with a lot different feeling. And I was actually a little bit surprised by some of the narrative around that game, not just from fans and the usual sort of like fans who are generally displeased no matter what the Rangers seem to do these days, but even also some of the the the, the writers and some you know other folks who 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 come at this from a level-headed perspective, they really were not happy with that effort. And I found that a little bit ironic because if you measure the team by objective, you know, in an objective way by statistics. And again, we, we talked about expected goals. Their expected goal share in that game was 57.5%. And they only, uh, I believe Ottawa only had one uh, high danger scoring chance, according to Natural Stat Trick, um, in the final period with the Rangers up 2-1 protecting a lead. So that to me shows the sign of a mature team that knows how to grind out games, win on the road, win when they maybe don't have their best stuff but still carry play. You know, that was not an Igor game. I think the thing that that happens with this fan base a lot, and Becky, tell me if you agree or what your thoughts are. Basically, unless the Rangers come out and score like four or five really pretty goals and have a an obviously dominant offensive performance, people seem to default to the well, if this team is just the power play in Igor, then I don't know how, they're, how far they're going to go. And, like, that was not an Igor game. Igor was not asked to make a lot of hard saves in that Ottawa game at all. The one they showed in the highlight reel at the end of the game was, like, a glove save on a slap shot from, like, 40 feet away. So he was not asked to stand on his head in that Ottawa game. He, was, he made a couple of more eye-popping saves in the Detroit game, but, again, the Rangers carried play in the Detroit game. Boston, yes, he had to do a little bit more work, especially in the first period. So again, I'm just, uh, a little bit of recency bias here, but the story the last you know few games has not been Igor, and I think people are just being a little bit lazy with that narrative. I don't know if you're getting the same sense at all, Becky. By the way, not to say Igor hasn't been great, because he has. And you almost expect him to get a shutout against Ottawa because the goal he let in is one you think he might stop. But anyway, what are your kind of thoughts on that? And, and why are the fans sort of clinging to that? narrative it seems i don't mean to alarm you but i generally like can't stand people's takes so like as a person who generally has like some pretty spicy takes i just can't like the narrative is old and fucking boring and we get it and you're beating it to death and it's already dead so if you truly believe that this team is garbage without the power play and if we didn't have igor and didn't have more weren't able to have a great power play, which, like, mind you, remember the several fucking years, the several years that we were like, oh, if we get a power play, can we just decline it? Like, that was pretty much every year until like two years ago. Fucking be happy. Like, I mean, I know it's really difficult. I know it's really shitty out there right now, but like, it's not supposed to make you feel shitty that your team has a great power play. It's really not. I think they said they were like third in the league on the broadcast. I'm not checking right now. So that no, it's third in the league wrong. now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's maybe like appreciate that for what it is instead of looking at it like it's a fucking negative. Okay. I know it might be a little bit difficult, but try to reframe your mind. Listen, I think that people who are saying that are going to continue to say that until the playoffs, and they're going to continue to say that unless they win the Stanley Cup. And there are going to be a sub subsection of people who, even if they win the Stanley Cup, will still say, oh, but they won in six games, and they didn't have a five-on-five <laughs> goal. And um, Artemi Panarin didn't have like all these goals, and Barkley Goodrow did this and that and the other, and Pavel Buchnevich should have fucking carried the cup. And I'm just going to be like, unfollow unfollow mute because i don't have to know these people in real life and that's 
something that I go to sleep at night and feel really great about. You know what I'm so going to be? I don't know if you, sh- most, you should ask me that. Yeah. The, I, the only person I will accept a, oh, this should have been their cup is Lundquist. Exactly. 1,000 fucking percent. That is the only answer. And I love Pavel Buchnevich. I do. But like 1,000 percent. But there's also people who are like, oh, Zuccarello should have been there. You're like, yeah, okay. Zuc was a great ranger and he's not a ranger. So. Zuc's in Mordor. And like if he wins a cup, then that's. No, if he wins a cup, like I'm very happy for him. I think he was a wonderful ranger. And I even said it like I loved that he was at Lundquist night. I love that he did the the puck. You know, he was out there with Mika doing when. Uh, Henrik dropped the puck and like it's all good stuff but like that's this isn't even the question that we were talking about I don't even want to get into it I just uh, that the whole point was that people are just fucking miserable for misery's sake and some people want to watch the fucking world burn and that's okay that's their choice and it's our choice to not interact with them hey Becky some people just want to trade Artemi Panarin for Matt Barzell one for one I am gonna throw you off the bridge okay (laughs) Now, Jesus Christ! We'll get to we'll get to this. I don't have the upper arm strength to be fair. The upper body strength, to be fair. We'll get to this obviously when we talk, you know, trade stuff. But this is not to say that there aren't flaws, right? I mean, the Rangers—they mm. definitely need scoring, and there's no perfect team. There's no perfect team. The fucking Tampa Bay Lightning were as close to a perfect team as humanly possible, and they lost in the first round to fucking Columbus. They got so swept by Columbus. Let's, let's stop. Oh, yes. I'm yeah. sorry. They got swept. Yeah, they lost like 107 like, to 3 during that series. It was ridiculous. <laughs> like, let's. I remember we were in Florida and just like sitting there. Like, if I smoked a cigar, it would have been a perfect time for it. It's just, let's just. Let's just. I don't even want to know what people whose expectations for the teams like like some of the people who are vocal on social and again it's also social media it's not necessarily who you are in real life so whatever but like I get the feeling that some people who are that vocal on social who want perfection like are deeply sad human beings and like that makes me feel bad but also again like I just said I don't have to interact with these people I get to go to sleep at night feeling happy with my corner of the universe, grateful for what I've got, things that I need to work on, and then that's it. Like, that's just, there's your psychology with Behabs right there. Are you grateful for Greg McKegg? You know, he's not playing bad. No, right? he's, he's not. not. He's not. It's true. He's not. We got, but we even got, still, uh, we well, we're going to get to that And later. his name is Greg McKegg. I like, can you ask for anything better? No, uh, what the hell was that U.S. goalie's name from the Olympics? Like, Tyler Mann. What, what the hell was Strauss it? Like, Man. Strauss, Strauss Mann. Strauss Mann. Strauss Mann is the best name ever. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> Strauss Mann. Um, look, the, they do need scoring. There's no doubt about that. And, and I don't think that, and I think we can have that conversation Without getting into the deep philosophical, uh, you know, uh, you know, the deep philosophical element of it about, you know, um, whether it's the boots trade or Zuccarello or what the Rangers prioritize in when they draft guys and when they when they pick the roster out of training camp. Like, you know, there are some people who believe that everything the organization does is wrong. Um, Maybe my opinion is is maybe maybe sometimes I'm a little too easy on the organization. I, I say that a lot. I think I, I at least um, consider myself someone who can think along with the front office, even if I don't always agree with the front office. I'll say this, and I don't normally get very mad. If they don't address scoring at this trade deadline, I will be very angry because it will be it would be a huge missed opportunity. 
So the team definitely needs scoring. I think it's also just fine to say basically that two things can be true, right? Yes, the team needs to score more at even strength. Yes, um, there are several holes in the in the in the t- in the forward group, especially that um, need to be fixed. But also, the team is playing much better as a whole uh, defensively. Again, they're not asking Igor Shosturkin to single-handedly carry them to wins. That is not what's happening right now with this team. They're playing pretty well. They're playing a pretty good, good cohesive five-on-five game. It's just not resulting in a lot of goals. They're also, by the way, Rob Luker posted this earlier, and, and you could go check out his Twitter uh, when you get a chance, at rluker12. Um, they are in their last uh, four games. So he looked at February, which is just four games. They're dead last in the NHL in shooting percentage. So they're 32nd in five-on-five shooting percentage. That will bounce back. So if the Rangers continue to play this way, the shooting percentage will bounce back and they will score more goals. Um, I do want to get to fan questions, but Dave, do you have any kind of quick 20-second thoughts on on any of that that you, that you want to add? I got nothing, honestly. I think I want to save this for the questions because it's more fun that That's way. true. I All right, that. well, let's get into the... Let's get into those fan questions. So we're going to do those. We're doing them a little bit early this week because we've got Arthur Staple joining the show and, you know, we're going to have him on for a while and, and close the show out like that. So, um, Becky, over to you for um, for the ones we've gotten in. I know we didn't get a ton here, but but definitely some stuff to dive into. So we're going to do a little sandwich here. We're going to do kind of more ridiculous questions um, as the bread and then the meaty question in the middle. Um so our first question is from Bill to Spill, and he actually asked a two-parter, but we're going to address the second part of it next week, and we're going to have a special guest on to help us kind of dissect the question. That's how good it is. Um, so Bill to Spill asks, what kind of pizza would Chris Kreider be? Dave? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm going first on this one. So are we talking about like style of pizza, or are we talking about just like toppings? I think anything, whatever your heart desires. Oh, fuck. Uh, Rob. <laughs> Chris Kreider is a, he is a gourmet, wood-fired, thin-crust pizza with um, some sort, probably like prosciutto or some other, some sort of, you know, um, uh, salty, fine Italian meat um, with also maybe a little bit of honey drizzle on top, some arugula. <laughs> this is right now. This is a, it's, it's a, it's a gourmet, he's a gourmet pizza. He's not just like a slice from the corner, you know, with, with a a random topping on it. And he's not, you know, I was tempted to say something silly like pineapple, but no, um, he's a cultured, classy man. He deserves a cultured, classy pizza. You know, I'm going to take what you said now that I understand how we're approaching this question, because I had no fucking idea how to go after it, um, I'm going to go with Kreider has always been underappreciated. And it wasn't until this year that people are like, oh, shit, he's actually like really good. So I'm going to take that $1 New York slice of pizza that you get from Rose's or something like that at mm-hmm. 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. at Penn Station. It is the best fucking slice of pizza ever. But nobody appreciates it because it's not like Joe's in the village or anything like that. But Rose's pizza is by far the best slice of pizza you'll have at 3 in the morning. And it's just, it's the best. And that's why Chris Kreider is a Rose's slice of pizza. He's he's underappreciated, and he's just the best at what he does. 
Honestly, that was going to be my, like, not roses necessarily, but, like, that $1 slice or, like, two slices and a Coke for, like, five bucks. But I think in lieu of that, I'll say he's, like, a freaking Elio's in that he's been on the team for so long that I feel like the last time I had Elio's, he was still a ranger and I was, like, 12, (laughs) so... Yeah, and, you know, and Elio's is question. solid pizza too. Like when you're, it is good. Elio's bomb. Is but you know yeah. what used to happen? I used to put it. I put it in the toaster oven, and you would put it on a piece of foil. And there was inevitably always, always some kind of freezer burn. Like every time, no matter what you did. So sometimes foil would get stuck to it and be too hot to like peel it off. Ugh, it was a pain in the ass. So that's like when he goes on his scoreless streaks. You know, he's just like a little bit of a pain in the ass. But then he comes back, and you're like, I love you. All right, Lou, our friend, um, asks us, uh, you could make, okay, so this is hard, so I'm going to read it probably twice. You could make one of these scenarios happen for the rest of the year, but be locked in the other way. So if you make the first choice, the second choice is locked, whatever. What are you choosing? And here's the scenarios, okay? So it's Baron over McKegg, or Jones and Schneider are the bottom pair. Oh, this is easy. So... Do we need to? Do I need to explain it more? No, this is easy. This is easy. The answer for me is Jones and Schneider as the bottom pair because the way this is phrased, McKeg over Baron, doesn't mean McKeg over whomever they get at the trade deadline. Mm, look at Dave, always finding loopholes. I am great at that. <laughs> I know. I, I know what I'm the, good at, and that's the thing I'm good at. <laughs> Because You're a lawyer. they're going to go. Lawyers and accountants are finding loopholes. Yeah. So anyway, that's the answer. Jones and Schneider as the bottom pair because McKeg over Barron, that's happening now. And Barron over McKeg doesn't do much right now because that doesn't help the scoring that much. It doesn't move the needle. But whomever they get at the deadline will most certainly play over McKeg. He is the first one out. And the second one out is probably Julian Gauthier. So, yeah, I feel bad, but Gautier can't score to save his life. Uh, he's like me at a bar at 2 a.m. That's a joke. Uh, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Dave's uh, popping off right now. Jones and Schneider. That way they don't have to spend a first-round pick on Ben Sherratt. Yeah, I'm with you there. Jones Schneider, keep that as the bottom pair. I, I, I can deal with Greg McKegg in the lineup. I, I don't want it to be the case all year, but um, I agree with you that Barron just doesn't move the needle enough. Um and and Joan Schneider just seems like it just seems like the perfect year to get them some experience, you know, sort of slowly bring them along over the last 30 games here, get them playoff experience. Obviously, they both look ready for it. I've been incredibly impressed by Jones. He's a guy that I've I'm eating crow on every day. Um, and Schneider has slotted right in, you know, very different type of player, but just like Adam Fox and just like Keandre Miller, the Rangers have done an absolutely incredible job and i think they deserve credit for it this fan base does not like to credit uh its team um at identifying defend young defensemen and now look adam fox again slam dunk he wanted to come here he forces his way here fine but ryan lindgren keandre miller traded up for him Braden schneider traded up for him and these look like mainstays on the blue line for the next 10 years um schneider's got that same look about him he just has stepped right in looks like an nhler plays a mature game Coaches love him. Fans love him. Um, been a great uh, story over the last couple of, uh, you know, th- whatever, five or six weeks here. So, um, yeah, I'm going Joan Schneider bottom pair as well. Becky? Yep, same. 
So I'm with you guys. Cool. All right. Last question. Then we got to get to Arthur Staple. Last question. And this will be good for crowdsourcing. So Jessica Lynn 312, my bestie, asks, what will our shots for the playoffs be since it's not pickleback? So long story short, we used to take pickleback shots during playoffs. Um, obviously, we've been him in the playoffs in like 18 years. So we're a lot older now. And the last time I took a pickleback, I threw up all night. So nice. what will our shot be? Okay, Jameson without the pickle juice. That's disgusting. You're disgusting. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I You're mean, a dirty pirate hooker. All right. <laughs> Fireball, cinnamon whiskey, baby. Come on. Yeah, but like that's like a go-to. I don't know. So instead of us answering this question, I think we need to ask people to please send your recommendations for what you think would be a good shot for the playoffs. Hashtag and why our shot club. Sorry there, Becky. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's Lou again. Maybe Lou can help us with this one, actually. And by I the way, please, please drink responsibly and only if you're 21 or over, please don't drink and drive, especially during the playoffs. Um, all right, guys, that was fun. And on the other side of this break, we will be speaking with Arthur Staple. Joining us now, a return guest here on Live from the Blue Seats. It's Arthur Staple, uh, the New York hockey columnist from The Athletic. Arthur, welcome back to the show. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. So I got to start, first of all. Um, I suppose in some ways we are competitors now because you've also recently started a podcast. So I do want to give you a chance to um, to hawk that a little bit. So just tell us a little bit about your uh, your podcast over on The Athletic. Uh, well, I appreciate that. It's called the garden faithful. Um, just started it maybe about a month ago over at the athletic and, uh, it's been fun. You know, I, I did a podcast, uh, on the Islanders, which lasted a lot longer than I thought it would. We, we kind of cycled through some co-hosts, had some good ones, some good guests along the way. And, uh, our audio team just decided, you know what, we need a Rangers podcast too. So we've already had Dominic Moore on. I think we've got some other good guests lined up and, uh, uh, it's it's been fun. It's kind of a nice way to, in addition to covering the team now for the last couple of months, pretty much exclusively. It's it's a good way to kind of collect my thoughts a little bit about uh, about the team because, as you know, doing a podcast, you can't just kind of go in and, and wing it. You kind of actually know what you're going to say beforehand and figure it out. And uh, and so it's been uh, it's kind of been a good way for me to sharpen up uh, my knowledge of the team too. And that's a solid name for a podcast too. Yeah, that's a good name for a podcast. Yeah, I can't take credit for. It. I d- I did come up with "No Sleep Till Belmont" for the Islanders one. I can take credit for that, but our our, our audio team <laughs> had the Garden Faithful <laughs> in the chamber ready to go. So, "No Sleep Till Belmont." That's great. <laughs> now they finally made it there, so I hope they're getting their rest. <laughs> they are. They are. Uh, I won't talk about them too much. But uh, unless to maybe if you guys want to want to shovel some dirt on them because they've been having such a tough season, <laughs> I'll save that for another show. Yeah, I'm buying my neighbor one of those We Bleed Blue shirts that say uh, 1983, last cup you'll ever see. And the minute the Islanders are eliminated from the playoffs, I'm giving it to him. Savage. <laughs> that's I mean that's how rivalries work, Dave. I think that's that's good stuff right there. Um. All right. So Arthur. Uh, we wanted to now, obviously, uh, on Tuesday or yesterday, when folks are listening to this, um, 
you dropped a column about kind of what you're hearing on the trade front. We'll get to that stuff first. But because it's been uh, a while since we had you on, I think it was back in November. Um, and as you said, you've sort of now gotten into the rhythm of pretty much covering the Rangers exclusively. We did want to just kind of get into some some of your more general thoughts on the team and, and where they stand through, I guess, what is it now? Is it 50 games? Um, as they prepare for the final 32 over the course of 63 days here. Um, I'm going to start with an easy one, uh, and it's pretty simple. What is the front office and the coach's obsession with Greg McKegg? And not to um, <laughs> badmouth McKegg because he, he plays a role, and I think he's actually played it pretty well. Uh, however, I think a lot of fans are wondering – why uh, he is not even cycled in and out of the lineup once in a while to give, say, a Morgan Barron a chance. So, what? again, a little tongue-in-cheek there, but what is the obsession with Greg McKegg, at least that you can glean? You know, I think it kind of falls into the same category as seeing guys like Dryden Hunt and Julian Gauthier play consistent roles on this team. Um, I think the combination of Chris Jury and Gerard Gallant, uh, you know, Jury's obviously a first-time GM, so you don't really have a – have a kind of a book on him and what he, how he feels about how his team should look, but you do have a book on Gerard Gallant. And I don't, I don't think it includes a lot of handing ice time to younger guys just because, and, and, you know, I, I think Morgan Barron probably deserves a shot. He's kind of been in and out of the lineup. He hasn't showed a ton, but hasn't really had an opportunity to show much. Um, and those other guys have, and I think we know what they are. And I, and I think, you know, in general, what you can glean from from Gallant's press conferences and just kind of the makeup of the team from the start of the season is they really feel like they can win games um, the way they've won them really in the last week. You know, you, you get a couple goals from your from your big boys, maybe a couple more for give yourself a little bit of cushion. Shesterkin, you know, you ride Igor Shesterkin because he's been so good all year. And then you just want those bottom six guys to, to get pucks out of your own end and get them into the other end and kind of scrum it around for 30 or 45 seconds and get off the ice. Um, there isn't really a crying need for those guys to produce a lot. You, you clearly want to see their underlying numbers be a lot better. They, they need to have the puck more. And I think, uh, you know, I think they understand that, but I, but you know, th- these guys are limited. Greg McKegg is, there's a reason he's on whatever is, you know, sixth or seventh, organization and, and Julian Gauthier never could quite grasp a hold of a role even even on a team that didn't have as much success as this and Dryden Hunts bounce around a bit too you know that they're going to give you some some energy and and what they've got to offer but the main focus I think for Gallant is the consistency of of the effort and the consistency of kind of you know keeping things neutral uh when you're on the ice and and I guess it's not quite there yet for Morgan Barron it's not quite there yet for any of the other young guys that we've seen, I mean, and some of those guys even who filled in during the kind of the COVID window, the Johnny Brodzinski, Anthony Greco, um, who showed pretty well in that limited viewing, but those aren't really top prospects. It's really, it's really Barron is the guy that I think has kind of been the odd man out. And um, it's also just kind of a, a, you know, it's not a cry for help, but it's sort of an admission that this is what we've got. And there's just not a lot there on the wings. So um, we're kind of in that, month until the trade deadline and obviously those are areas that the rangers can improve because they have the assets and they have the cap space uh and i think that's probably what you'd be what you'd want to focus on rather than feeling like why is greg mckeg playing but more looking at Mm -hmm. what can they do to make sure that greg mckeg doesn't play that much 
So does that same mentality apply to a Zach Jones then? Because we're talking the effort, the results, and maybe the leaning on the veteran. But we've seen Zach Jones play extremely well. And now, and I'm a little bit more upset about this than most because I literally wrote a post and then three seconds later it was outdated because he got sent to Hartford. But like, if this is their approach to McKeg, and I get it, we want him to be forced out of the lineup by somebody who can score and that they acquire at the deadline. How do, Is that the same for Jones? Because uh, that one is baffling to me. You know, the situation with Jones this week is kind of an interesting one. And, uh, you know, I think sending him down with kind of a pretty long runway until Hartford plays next, uh, you know, it says, I think they feel like, well, Patrick Nemeth played okay. He seems to be back to health. Um, you know, so they feel like he's going to, he's for now, he's the guy that they choose over to Jones. And you can bring Jones back whenever you want. But also you get down to 22 on the roster instead of 23 just in case something else happens during the course of this week. So you at least give yourself some flexibility. It's not really that big an issue because you could make a trade, bring somebody in that you're, and you're not taking anybody off the roster and you just send Jones down then. So um, it's a little bit of a head scratcher. And I think he played well. And I think most importantly for not only for Jones, but just the future of the, that third pair, at least as far as this year is concerned, is how well Braden Schneider's played uh, and just sort of seemed like he's, uh, you know, a five-year NHL veteran already at age 20, just the, just the poise that he plays with, and he doesn't seem to get rattled much. It was funny hearing Jacob Truba talk about what kind of a – he's kind of a quirky kid on the bench and <laughs> sitting there, you know, seeing Artemi Panarin do something and saying, whoa, did you guys see that? And Truba saying, like, yeah, we, we see it all the time. But uh, <laughs> but I think it's, it's also just that kind of youthful exuberance combined with a real maturity on the ice that is not only going to help Schneider and kind of help round out the defense, but also allow a guy like Jones to play a regular shift because you can have a guy who, uh, who on Schneider's left side, who's maybe taking some more risks, who maybe got a little bit more, uh, you know, ability to get up the ice. I think when he's with Nemeth, you still need someone to be steadier than Nemeth because he just hasn't been that way, even though he was fine the other night. Um, and I think, you know, just hearing from what I've been hearing around the league, it doesn't sound like the Rangers are going to jumble up their their decor. I think they feel like with Schneider there now, they've they've got it pretty well set and they've, they've got some good cornerstone pieces in most of their spots for a long time. But they could use someone a little bit steadier than Nemeth in that kind of veteran leadership role now that Nils Lundqvist has kind of fallen down a bit on the depth chart and maybe he's the top trade chip you have if you want to make a real go for broke move before the deadline um maybe the the need for nemeth as as kind of the the mentor type isn't quite as strong and obviously his play has really not been up to par this whole season so you know if there's a if there's a guy who can be a six seven guy around the league who's been in the playoff wars a lot that's probably the guy that they're looking for and maybe in that scenario you you rotate three guys you've got him you've got Nemeth, you've got Jones, or you've got Libor Hayek. Um, you know, maybe it's kind of by committee because now you have that anchor on the other side in, in Schneider that they feel really confident in. So the Jones situation to me is is still a little bit of a trust factor from Gallant. Does he? Does he? You know, if he's got a, a young guy who's played whatever a dozen NHL games or so, and he's got Patrick Nemeth, who you know what you're going to get, much like the McKeg Barron situation. 
it still seems to be the veterans going to win win the race right now and maybe that maybe hopefully i assume for a lot of fans uh that that changes before the deadline so that you're not even making that kind of choice but i think for the long run where it seemed like at the beginning of the year jones was the guy you were going to move out because lundquist had kind of won that spot now it feels like you can keep jones as you're maybe you're six seven going forward this year going into camp next year unless he really wows you because you're not so worried about the size issue because you got a big guy who who plays a good stay-at-home, strong, all-around game next to him. That's really interesting. Um, I know you you brought up, what, there's no surprises with Gallant. You know, that's kind of like the open book, just going back a question or so. And I'm just curious, you know, a little over halfway through the season, what's your, what's your appraisal of Gallant so far? Like, what do you think his relationship with the players is like? Do you think they like to play for him just – whatever your insight has been. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's as advertised, he's a pretty simple guy. You know, I, <laughs> I think, I think when he came in, there was, like I said, there was kind of a pretty long book on him in, in Florida and in Vegas. Um, he's, you know, he looks like the meanest SOB in the world when he's behind <laughs> the bench, <laughs> but, but he's, he's kind of a, he's kind of a teddy bear with his players. He's a guy who, who is, is very, very interested in, in his players' well-being and kind of their, you know, their happiness level, I guess. And, and I think uh, a lot of the X's and O's and system stuff is really a combination of him and Mike Kelly, his longtime assistant. Um, and, you know, he's really kind of the guy who's, who's more adept at delivering the message uh, than he is at kind of devising schemes and doing all that kind of stuff. And, and that's, you know, their, their partnership works very well, and it certainly seems to work well in the communication level with the players. Um, and I, and you know, I just think he's, he's not one. He's going to open his, open up his, his book or open up his heart to anybody in the, in the press conferences. He's, he likes to keep it short and simple. Um, when it comes to talking about his team, he, I think, you know, he, he definitely has a lot more insight than he's willing to let on, but he's just not going to let it on. There's plenty of coaches out there like that. So, um, you know, I, I'd say as advertised and also the as advertised part is that gets his teams to win, you know, mm-hmm. however it's working. And obviously, you know, he's not the one that's stopping all the pucks the way Shesterkin is, but he uh, his message seems to resonate well. And uh, and I think that maybe, maybe he also came to the team at just the right time where there had been, you know, lots of struggles under David Quinn. There had been the initial struggles under Vino, um, and this was the right kind of personality and right voice for where this team was in their level of maturity and their process uh, of building up. And, uh, and so, yeah, it seems, it seems to be a good mix. And, you know, the, I guess if you're, if you're the sort of person who's worried about things to come or, you know, things that may be out of your control, you think, well, he was at this stage with Florida, he was at this stage with Vegas. And then within a couple of years, he was out the door. So, um, you wonder if the message gets a little stale, if the players are craving something a little bit different after a while. But uh, but the way the last few years have gone, I think it's kind of it was definitely the right time and a, and a good move by by Chris Drury and the Rangers organization to bring him in at this point um, because the players seem to be very receptive to what he's what he's been selling them. Yeah. Do you think part of that reception has to do with the? simple nature of his systems because when the rangers played under av it was a very complicated defensive zone system combination zone and man coverage 
the Rangers got lost. And then under David Quinn, I got to be honest, the I wrote a bunch about what David Quinn was trying to do, and it just never stuck. I thought the Rangers were way too passive and still a little overcomplicating things. Do you think just the simple style of the way his systems are, get in on the forecheck, you know, stand up at the blue line, standard zone coverage in the defensive zone, do you think that has a lot to do with why the players like him so much and why we've started seeing them turn it around with better performances of late? I think so. I mean, it, it certainly was an adjustment uh, at first because they weren't doing anything that he was asking them to do other than the goalie was making a ton of saves. They were giving up an, an astronomical amount of chances. Uh, and he was relying, you know, the team was relying on their kind of their, their big five, you know, the, the five top power play unit guys, not only on the power play, but also five on five to just use their skill and, and kind of, you know, not needing many chances to score to, to put some goals in. Um, it's not necessarily a consistent winning formula. He certainly realized that right away. He was tired of answering questions about it right away too, but I think he certainly understood and, and the entire coaching staff understood you can't, you can't win, you can't win in an 82 game season. You can't win in playoff round playing that way and just giving up chance after chance after chance. So I think that the, the ability of their guy, of the coaching staff to kind of tailor the message even when you've seen this team kind of not fracture, but just not really adopt what they needed to adopt to have, to have a bit more of a spine, uh, you know, in the neutral zone, in their own end, uh, up the ice on the forecheck in past years. Um, so you have to, you, have, you, you do have to give them credit for being able to change that message or change their approach because it was kind of that, that four day break in November after they got back from, from Western Canada and, squeaked out a win over Florida where, you know, it looked like Shifsterkin, you know, his body was just wrung dry after that game at the garden and the record looked great. And the team just, there was not enough substance to it. And they certainly understood. And I think since that time, there's been some ups and downs and obviously COVID and injuries kind of, uh, you know, could have, could have easily derailed some things, but I think the consistency they've played with uh, over the last, three months or so uh, is to, is commendable. And I think it's, it's definitely a reason why he's, he's going to get some Jack Adams votes if they continue on and finish the season as strong as they played it so far. Uh, and it's earned. It's, you know, e even if the underlying numbers aren't great, um, he and his coaching staff have done something in the season and in their approach to the season to get this team to play a little bit tighter. And it's starting to, it's starting to show a little bit more now. And, and I understand that, you know, people are used to seeing their high-flying offense and power play and all that stuff. But it's you know the two-one, the three-two games, as boring as they can be, those are the, those are playoff games. And I think we're going to see mm -hmm. when you when they get into the part of the schedule now with a lot of divisional games, they have to be able to rein in Carolina and they have to be able to rein in Washington and they have to be able to rein in Pittsburgh, or else it's not going to go very far. Yeah. I think that's a great point, and I think we've noticed over the last, you know, especially a couple of weeks, they, they've started to play better defensively. So, you know, we'll look for that to continue. Um, great insight there on the, you know, sort of the the, the wider picture there, uh, Arthur. We do want to switch gears to the trade front. So this is obviously something that, as you yourself know, I'm sure uh, on your podcast, you're probably talking about a lot, a lot about trade deadline stuff. I know we're always devoting time to it here. Um Wanted to to specifically ask you about you know some of what you wrote uh, in your column. Maybe you've got some other nuggets you can share. But um, 
one of our colleagues at, at Blue Steep Blogs, he's been on our, our show before as well. His name's Rob Luker, another Rob. Uh, he asked a question we wanted to just kind of pitch it to you uh, as kind of a, as a starting point for this discussion. Um, the amount of cap space the Rangers have, uh, it's $20 million, I think, today. And the way to cruise in the NHL, they'll have something like $35 million of worth of trade deadline cap space to work with uh, in mid-March. Um, that is a unique opportunity. That's probably not going to happen again, at least for the foreseeable future, the way this roster is constructed, all the UFA and RFA stuff that's coming up in, in, in the years down the line. So I, I think what we want to know is, you know, have you, do you have any sense and do you have any, um, have you gotten any indication from talking to people, folks around the league, people within the organization that the Rangers plan to fully weaponize that cap space? So in other words, are they going to fully go for broke and add multiple pieces, potentially with big price tags, whether it be rentals or guys with term that they can then figure it out in the off season, you know, as their approach to this deadline. Um, and we're thinking like three, maybe even four players. Do you think they're going to go that route or is this more of a um, nip and tuck deal around the edges? You know, I get the sense they're going to do something. Uh, whether, it, whether you consider multiple pieces big or one guy big you know jt miller seems to be the guy that we're always that we're talking about a lot he's the guy that i think they've been talking about quite a bit um you know so so big is relative but i think as far as this team is concerned it's kind of uh, a no-brainer is is too strong a word because they could certainly do nothing because the prices may not come down to their liking or somebody might not circle back around there's always there's always, you know, obstacles to overcome at the trade deadline. Um, but I think the, the, the interest is certainly there, you know, and I think it comes from the top. I, I don't imagine that Jim Dolan made all of these changes in the last calendar year or so, um, knocking out John Davidson, knocking out Jeff Gordon, bringing in Drury, bringing in the guys that, that Drury then brought in in the offseason to kind of shore the team up and not and kind of, you know, accelerate some of this, retooling you didn't do all that uh, and then think about going forward from this season to where the cap space gets a lot smaller uh, because of the new contracts for Adam Fox and Zibanejad the, the offseason free agency situation with Ryan Strom um, you didn't do all that to just kind of say yeah let's hold on to our assets and see where we're at in another year it's just it just doesn't make any sense to me and I think uh, if there's a mandate from from ownership it is Know, fill that cap space if you can, if it makes sense. Um, you know, I don't think the situation where you're going to trade your first round pick and Niels Lundqvist for a rental, obviously, you know, Chris Drury is a first year GM. He's not going to get the wool pulled over his eyes or anything. He's been around long enough to know. But I think if you can get a, a Miller, if you can get, um, you know, somebody with term or somebody that's got a future here, then you do have the assets to make, make that move. And, and you can't, you can't hang on to nine or ten guys that can all uh, can all play in the NHL on defense in the next year or two because there's just not enough space for them. And that's the other part of it, I think, is you have to find a place for, for these guys to play. And if you can't, then there's other places for them to go and you can fill your hole, fill the holes that you need to fill. And they certainly, even at full strength, even with Capo Caco back in the lineup, they have some holes to fill. And I understand that the original sin was trading Pavel Buchnevich, and that would help a lot of some things right now. But and it's certainly every time I write a story about any anything having to do with the right side, that's the topic that comes up, and I understand it. But um, 
but you know they made the move that they made and obviously if Sammy Blay who you know was filled a good role even though he didn't score um he might his being healthy might change the, the conversation a little bit right now but uh but I think you're looking at a situation where they can add a lot like you said tons of cap space they have the assets you know the assets that might end up being overripe if you start thinking about more about next season and and you know a crowded field in training camp or making trades at at the draft um there's certainly the option to do that too but i think what they have to do beyond the season is going to be a lot more targeted based on how many contracts they can sign and what they can get people signed for. So um, it's always a tap dance between, you know, you can't just go for it uh, unless you're a Tampa or a team that's like really in the upper echelon. But I think the Rangers have the best goalie in the league right now. I don't think that's an opportunity that you want to let go to waste. So, so I think they, they, you know, jury probably feels like there's a chance to add uh, either a big player that can have an impact in the top six or someone that maybe has a smaller impact, uh, it's more of a pending UFA rental type situation, and then you don't give up quite as many assets, and then maybe you can add someone, sure, your third line, get that number six, seven defenseman who's been around the block a little bit, uh, and not have to sell off your top guys. So uh, there's a lot of different ways they can go here, and I'm sure the conversations include a lot of the guys that I've written about, that everyone's been talking about, and probably lots of other guys that nobody's been talking about. I like that you brought up Besser, but that's just because I've been hawking him, even though it's unrealistic and not going to happen. But just thank you. <laughs> he'd, he'd be great if, if uh, you know, he plays the right side. He's a scoring machine. I think he's he's got the character that you'd want in a guy uh, that you'd want to bring in to, to have around for a long time. But that $7.5 million qualifying offer feels like it's a disqualifying offer when it comes to the Rangers. So uh, it might not be that si- the, situ- the ideal situation here. Yeah. So one of the guys that I've been kind of talking about is Mark Shifley out of Winnipeg, <clears throat> mostly because they have to sign Dubois and they don't really have the cap space. If the Rangers don't get Miller and Strom is sounds like he's pricing himself out, as much as I'd want Besser, do you think they pivot to somebody like Shifley who's got term and could be available? I mean, that's a conversation you certainly want to have. Um, you know, it, it, it's a, it's such a difficult dance to do. And I think it, starting with, you know, they are two teams that have traded before uh, and made a, a very headline-making move in, in the Truba deal. But Kevin Jeveldayoff, does not let go of pieces very easily. And I think that's pretty well known around the league. He's been GM there a long time. Um, And I feel like they're in a situation where, you know, much like Dallas, I I didn't mention Joe Pavelski in either the, the, what we're hearing articles, uh, even though he's a guy I've brought up before, just because Dallas is in a situation where if they don't make the playoffs, you don't know if they're going to have the same front office structure after this season. You know, there's some impatience there. And he's certainly having a great year for them. Um, and I feel like Shifley in Winnipeg is sort of the same situation where if they don't make it, there might be some changes coming. So I don't know that they're going to be in a position unless they fall completely out of it to say, we got to get something for this guy. Um, but yeah, you know, if you're looking at guys that you want to have as your number two center going forward, that might be better, better options than Ryan Strom. Yeah. You could, you could do a lot worse than Mark Shifley. You could do a lot worse than JT Miller 
which if those are conversations that Chris Drury can have before March 21st, you absolutely have to have them because the the perfect scenario for the Rangers coming into this deadline is to improve uh, their roster right now and going forward for the last stretch drive of the season and in the playoffs and also give them really good options uh, going into next season and beyond at that second line spot because finding a number two center on the free agent market is just an impossibility in this league. You know, um, I don't mean to go back to my Islander days, but when Brock Nelson was coming up on free agency for them, I think in 2019, uh, he was the first guy that Lou Lamarillo signed. And it didn't take very long because I think the Islanders understood, you know, the market for free agents for number two centers was Brock Nelson and Kevin Hayes, and it was a long way down to the next group of guys. And, you know, Nelson got six times six. Hayes got a, a big pile, what was it, 7.1 per from Philly, and he's been injury-plagued ever since then. It's a big crapshoot when, when you're trying to fill those kind of holes by buying somebody. Um, you'd much rather trade for someone who's already got some term or go with the devil you know. And, uh, you know, I think those are those are some interesting considerations for jury right now. And if if... Winnipeg falls out of it. You certainly have to consider Shifley. It probably means Strom is gone, so you also have to weigh how that's going to play in the room. Ryan Strom is an incredibly well-liked guy. Uh, he's an emotional guy, and I'm not so sure that he'd be able to handle that type of situation where he knew he was uh, you know, on, bar- on borrowed time with the Rangers, even if they were headed towards the playoffs and had a much better chance of winning some games in the playoffs by adding someone. So it's, uh, it's a real... It's a real you know, needle you have to thread to, to make get it right this time of year, and maybe all of that says you go for the rentals and kind of play it safe and then figure it all out in the summer, which is why we usually see that happen outside of a few contending teams. But, uh, but yeah, Shifley is a guy you, know, you have to have a conversation on, and, and obviously the conversation on JT Miller has to be had because those are guys that not only change your fortunes for this, this season in the short term but can change them in the long term as well. So we focus kind of on the scoring end of things, the top six end of things. I think it's also pretty clear that the Rangers, if they can find a fit, would add a bottom sixer as well. Someone who's, you know, maybe got a little bit more experience in that grinding role, a little bit more familiar with um, what Gerard Gallant is asking his bottom six to do and can execute it a little bit more steadily. So you and one of your uh, colleagues brought up the same name. And I, you know, I think the, this got a lot of reaction on Rangers Twitter. I'm sure you've probably heard about it uh, on Tuesday. Former or current Islander Cal Clutterbuck. Um, why has so why, why is this name coming up? And and also really just what do you think are the chances that the, the Islanders and Rangers make a trade? Because I mean, to me, it seems quite far fetched. Um, but 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 why Clutterbuck? And, and do you really think that that's a, a fit for for either party? I mean, it could be. It's. I feel like the other name that I brought up, which is Andy Green, which is kind of a much lower impact move, to me is much more realistic and makes a lot more sense for some reasons that I'll try to keep short. But uh, the Clutterbuck situation, I imagine, you know, Lou Lamarillo has some decisions to make. They're not dead in the water yet, but they're getting there uh, on the island. Um, they've got a few pending UFAs who may or may not have any interest anywhere uh and they're all guys when you're looking at clutterbuck um 
Zach Parise, Zdeno Chara, Andy Green. These are all guys through either their time on the island or their time in the NHL or their time with Lou Lamarillo and other places are guys that weren't a conversation with Lou where he, he has enough respect for all of them to say, if you want to be moved, I will, I will make that ha- try to make that happen. Um, so I, 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 that's the first part. And I don't, I can't say for sure that whether Cal Clutterbuck wants to go anywhere, you know, this guy has been on the Island for a decade, He's got a big family. They put down roots there. They spend a lot of the year year round there. Um, so I'm not so sure that a, he would even want to go anywhere for a stretch run. Uh, and B, he's the guy who hates the Rangers. He has adopted the <laughs> Islander mentality of, I hate those guys. And I'm sure the feeling is mutual. Um, he's a pain in the ass. He scored a lot of big goals at the Garden. I think if Ranger fans can certainly think about that, and maybe that's the reason that you'd want to think about getting him. Um, so I don't know that he would want to throw away nine years of, of service to the Islanders and say, I'm going to go to the, to the bad guys now. Um and having said all that, you know, I, I brought it up. It does make some sense. I'm sure that that Drury and Lamarillo will have a conversation at some point when Lou is ready to raise the white flag. But I feel like Clutterbuck is a guy that you get if you have a great top nine already. If you're missing that fourth line, well, basically what Clutterbuck and Casey Zizekas and Matt Martin have brought for the last couple of years on the island. That's what they're missing. Cal Clutterbuck is not a third-line guy. You know, he's he's certainly a better-rounded player than Julian Gauthier or Dryden Hunt. So a guy doesn't score a lot of goals anymore. And I don't think that that's a spot where you're going to make a deal like that that's so fraught and then say, now we need you to produce. And that's just it's just not what he does. Um, you know, he gives you a lot in the postseason. He's certainly shown it a lot over the last couple of years, and he seems to be pretty healthy. But uh, but I don't know that that's really a fit for Ranger a Ranger Islander trade, which is already okay. So maybe that's a long shot, and then it's an even longer shot if Clutterbrook wants to go anywhere, and then you're down to like the third level of long shot if you know if he's really the right guy. Um, I will say, having said all that, and I said this in the in the article the other day, that Andy Green is a guy who makes a little bit more sense um, if he wants to go anywhere because. He waived his, his no-move clause in Jersey to go to the islands, play for the guy who signed him in Lamarillo and didn't have to uproot his family. It's almost 40. This might be his last go-around for a chance to play. He doesn't have that same loyalty. He's only been an Islander for a couple of years. And if he also still doesn't want to go anywhere, there's only one team in the tri-state that's going to the playoffs, and that's the Rangers. So maybe that's a situation where you could see, and he certainly won't cost a lot, that's a situation where a jury might jump and say, this is the guy who's been around the block and been in the playoffs a few times and is still pretty steady if we need him to play. Uh, and is certainly just a plug and play, even keel type guy who's, who, who can add a little bit of, you know, in the room in terms of just kind of maturity and, and character and all that stuff. So still a huge long shot there too. But, uh, but obviously um, I tend to feel like that's a much, that's a much more realistic Islander Ranger trade scenario than, uh, than Clutterbuck. So, it was nice to talk about Clutterbuck, and he's certainly a dynamic guy, but I really can't see it happening. One more from me, and then I'll see if Becky and Dave have anything uh, they want to ask before we wrap up. Um, but a lot of fans, I think, are just wondering about timing here. You know, March 21st is still a long way away. This is like the longest lead up to a trade deadline that I can remember. Obviously, it's much later because of the wonky schedule and the players are supposed to be at the Olympics. The season's ending much later than it normally would. All that said, 
what what percent chance would you give the Rangers making a move, say, well in advance of that deadline, say uh, two weeks or even 10 days in advance of that deadline? Or are they taking this thing all the way up to March 21st? And they, are they going to make it as they do uh, during the playoffs, usually when they're in, as excruciating as possible? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that's it's the old it, you got to have a partner, too. You know, I, I, I don't get the sense that prices are coming down yet you know if you want to pay the buy now price you can certainly do that if the rangers were interested in trading their first round pick and Braden schneider they'd have jt miller right now probably i'm sure there'd be other parts of it but they're not trading Braden schneider so that's not happening so you have to wait and uh you're not giving a first round pick to the canadians for arturi lekkanen and ben Sherat and maybe another piece in there um because i don't know if that those two guys are even what you want to have. You may have some other options come up. There may be other teams that fall out of it. So it's uh, as, as many articles uh, as I can write about what I'm hearing uh, and the, the ones that I can fit in before the deadline, I'm probably going to have time to write a few more before the Rangers do anything. So um, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, it, it seems to happen every year that we get started with the, with the rumor mill and start talking about things. And there are some trades because there are some teams willing to pay that fine out price. The Flames did it with Tyler Toffoli. Toronto seems always willing to make a move whenever they feel like making a move. And they just made one. I'm sure they're going to make more. Um, but I think a lot of the other teams, you know, the, these these things that we're talking about that are decisions that jury has to make. Uh, you're not, you just, you just can't pull the trigger right away. You know, I, he's not a Jim Rutherford type where you just say, okay, I feel like making a trade today. I'm going to make one. It's, it's, uh, he seems to be a very different guy. He's definitely more methodical and patient than that. And, um, this being his first trade deadline as GM, especially being a buy, the Rangers being a buyer for the first time in a long time, you want to make sure you get it right. Uh, because this could change the app, you know, change some of their fortunes, not just this season, but beyond. So, um, I can't see him stepping forward. Having said that, they did set, just send Zach Jones down. They've got a roster spot open, so maybe there's a small move that they can make in the short term. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of guys out there that are available right now. I don't really, you can't really say exactly what the price is, but you're not, no, you know, Steve Eiserman's not asking for a first round pick for Vlad Nemesnikov. Uh, Ron Francis isn't asking for a first rounder for Kelly Yarn Croak. Those are guys that maybe you could kind of jump and say, okay, I like the way this guy might fit on our third line. We need more skill just in general. And maybe you say, okay, we have two second round picks. I'll spend one right now and get one of these guys in. Maybe that feels like a little too expensive for one of those guys. Um, but maybe you say we can't keep going the way that we're going because we're still without Capocaco for a few more weeks. The rest of these guys on the wing just aren't producing. Um, so that's the kind of move I could see done sooner than later but i think something where you're going to see you know something that's that's really eye-popping is probably something that's going to have to wait till closer to the deadline or maybe something that's maybe a, a little bit more meaningful is going to have to wait till closer to the deadline just because um you know there's a lot that goes into it cool becky dave anything else from you guys or uh we that about wrap it up no just big thanks really appreciate having you on i don't have any other questions but it's just always a treat to talk to you so thanks is it all right if I put you on the spot for one yes or no question? Hit me. Go ahead. Is Alex Georgiev a ranger after the deadline? Yes. Really? Do I have to explain it or should I just leave it at that? Huh. 
Yeah, uh, that's up to you. If you want to leave us with the mystery. <laughs> I, I just feel like I, I don't know that anybody's going to come through with a serious offer for him. It's, he's he's stuck in a very difficult situation where he wants to be able to show that he can handle a, a bigger workload. He's not going to get it the rest of this season because Shesterkin is playing so well. Um, and I don't, you know, there's just not a chance to showcase him really, unless, you know, barring something bad happening. Um, and so I don't, I can't imagine that anybody's going to pay the price that jury will rightly ask for because he's going to have to move that guy out and then have a deal in place to move a, a true backup in. And then you got to be able to juggle those two things. It's like selling a house and buying a house and trying to time it where you're doing it. You're closing them both on the same day. You can't let anybody know that, that, uh, you're in the market for, you know, if he starts asking around about, about goalies. People are going to think, oh, okay, well, they've got to trade for their other for their guy. So price just went up. Um, so I feel like that juggling act is a little too delicate to pull off, given what uh, what they want Georgiev to, uh, uh, to to fetch. And, and I think the even tougher part is that if you wait, which they're going to, to me, they are going to have to wait. You can't really get much for him in the offseason because everybody knows he's a goner. You know, you, you're going to have to make a move at, at the draft that is probably going to be fairly unsatisfying because you need to be free to, to shop around for number two once that uh, once free agency starts. So uh, it, it's not an ideal spot. He's going to end up going somewhere else before next season, but I can't see it happening before the deadline just because you got to have a number. You got to have a, a legitimate backup in there. And, and as much as everybody loves Keith Kincaid, I don't think he's that guy when you're going into the playoffs. I agree with you, but you just upset a lot of people probably because there are a lot of people that want to see Georgiev gone. I'm not one of them. I think he's a good guy to have when if Shesterkin happens to have an injury. But uh, I, I was a little bit surprised to hear that you're you're so ad that you're basically saying he will not he will not be traded and I'm like eh, you know you bring up a really good point that juggling is really hard to manage and that buying a house thing good lord that hit close to home <laughs> <laughs> Arthur it's been a pleasure um, really appreciate you taking all the time coming on our podcast obviously want to remind everybody to check out Arthur's podcast over on the Athletic the Garden Faithful great name. Um, and obviously all of your your work at the athletic has been fantastic so really appreciate it and um i'm sure we'll talk again soon maybe uh just ahead of the playoffs i appreciate it thanks everyone for having me on have a good night